I'm going to start with a story and then a prayer, and we'll, we'll let that take us in. My background in the Churches of Christ, we were often taught that uh, we really weren't Trinitarian. First off, the word Trinity, Trinitarian, is nowhere in the Bible. And we spoke where the Bible spoke, and we were... <laughs> we spoke where the Bible speaks, and we were, where the Bible is silent, and we really have some things to say. Uh, and I don't throw rocks over my shoulder at anyone who came before. I throw rocks right down at my own feet. Because I love Scripture. I embraced Scripture. I can't tell you when I got my first Bible. And so digging into Scripture and trying to see what does the Bible teach about something was something I did long before I understood even why it was wise to do. Long before I understood the depth and the power of the Bibles that you hold in your hand or on your phones or on your iPads or however it is that you have it here. Before I knew that it was the world's best-selling book year after year, before I knew that it was translated into more languages than any other book on the planet, before I knew that Jesus was the most painted, sculpted, written about, and sung about person in all of history, I just knew that it was the B-I-B-L-E. And that, my friends, is the book for me. But what I did not understand at the time was that in part because of a whole lot of influences, I grew up more as a binitarian than as a trinitarian. Very aware of God. Who doesn't know about God? You've got to be pretty popular people just use your name when they're mad. I mean, God's name is everywhere. People who don't even believe in God use his name to curse, which is stunning to me. And then, of course, Jesus, you can't miss Jesus. If you're going to be a Christian, you're baptized into Christ, and you follow Christ, and Christ is our Lord, and we pray every prayer, finishing with some version of, in Jesus' name. But I was introduced in kind of a strong way to the Holy Spirit in the late 1950s and 60s here in Southern California. Because at that time, some of them I've actually come to, to get to know. A singer who wore white shoes. <laughs> How long will it take? Thank you. Who was a member of the Churches of Christ, and we love it. You know, we just, it's exciting. You say, do you know him? He's a member of the Church of Christ. <laughs> or as some friends would say, MOTC. He's a MOTC, member of the church. And so, I remember when I found out that, y'all you know the weird out Yankovic? Member of the Church of Christ. Yeah. And so, you know, I've got all my kind of Christian celebrities in my back pocket there. Max uh, Lucado being one of them, right? But Pat Boone wrote a book called A New Song. He and his wife Shirley had had an experience that they described as an experience with God, an experience with the Holy Spirit. And I remember the tension in my household. As my father and other ministers would meet and talk and in fact, I remember attending as maybe an eight-year-old or nine-year-old a debate 
And the debate was all about what did and what did not the Holy Spirit do in a person's life. So, being a diligent, focused, rational, legalistic nine-year-old, I was digging in. Because I didn't know what it might break out of elementary school, and I wanted to be there to suffer. <laughs> so, so, I began just, a, a, you know, a, a nine-year-old's version of what, is it, what does it mean to think about the Holy Spirit? And that was when I heard about Brother Trent. Brother Trent had been one of the counselors at the church camp that I went to. I'd known Brother Trent for years. Brother Trent was a sweet, godly, good guy. And I used his name believing that Brother Trent, who was as old as my dad, has already gone on to be the Lord. And if he hasn't, then you know him. I don't tell him I talked about him. <laughs> but as a nine or ten-year-old, I remember my dad and some of the other ministers talking about what's going on with Brother Trent. What's happening with Brother Trent? And I remember hearing this phrase from the kitchen. Oh, TJ, my father's name, but he was called Thomas Jefferson. TJ, we just need to, we just need to dip. Brother Trent has gone off the deep end with the Holy Spirit. I remember thinking, oh no. <laughs> but he's such a nice guy. <laughs> not come to camp now? <laughs> what will happen to his children who will care for them now that he's gone off the deep end with the Holy Spirit? It was decades later when that memory would surface as I was teaching a class in a church where I was serving as a minister on the Holy Spirit. That phrase, gone off the deep end with the Holy Spirit. And at that point in my life, I realized, if you ever go off the deep end, you need to do it with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because he's the one you want with you if you go off the deep end. And I get a, oh yeah. Now what that means for you and for me, you may vary. What exactly does that mean? And I thought about when I thought, well, we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit, you know, that's right. And I realized we spent a lot of time, and I think Ricky even referred to this last time, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, now the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, so the Holy Spirit does do this. And so I back up and I take a look at what God decided He wanted us to understand about the nature of the Holy Spirit. And I thought about my three kids, my three sons, all of whom are married now, praise God, to beautiful, wonderful Christian women. I know what's happening in their life because of an invention called smartphone and because of a tool called Instagram. How many here have an Instagram account or stalk someone else's Instagram account? Thank you for being honest. For those who may not be aware of it, Instagram was the first kind of Twitter with pictures thing. It is the way that students on this campus share what's going on in their life with one another, unless they do it on Snapchat. And I try and kind of avoid Snapchat because it's, uh, Snapchat is a thing where you put on a message and then that message, as soon as it's seen, it just it's disappears. Which means there's no accountability, 
And so I can send you things I shouldn't ought to send you. You see it, you're shocked by it, but it disappears and you have no proof that I sent it. When you post something on Instagram, kind of like post something on Facebook, anybody that's on your Instagram account can see it. I would invite you, if you want to, to follow me on Instagram. I am Preacher Wallet. And uh, you'll see pictures of my grandson. You'll see pictures of places that I go. Only follow if you want to go to heaven. But you can Preacher Wallet. Now, the reason I tell you about Instagram before I pray is because God used Instagram images long before Instagram was even thought of. He's often cutting edge. He said, I want humans through the millennia to be able to understand this challenging notion of God's spirit, his pneuma, his ruach in the Old Testament. And I need it to be in a way that they can tell their children about without scaring them. I need it to be in a way that they can communicate about through the generations, even though language may change. So it is my contention that God used pictures, metaphors, three key ones that we'll look at over the next three days, that are things you can use with your grandchildren, you can use with someone who doesn't even know the scriptures. And I believe he did this because there's so much more in a beautiful picture, in a metaphor. Picture's worth a thousand words, right? I, I think God understands that better than anyone. And as we'll talk, I think we'll even surface some things in this class study together that maybe you haven't seen or thought of before because of the depth of the power of God's choice. Not mine, but God's choice. So let's begin with a fairly simple prayer. And I want to tell it to you before I pray I want to pray for God's guidance for us. I believe that the Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's roles in our life, is as a guide, as a mover. So when you pray for God's guidance with me, I ask you in your heart to be saying, Holy Spirit, guide me. For some, that baby is naturally this prayer you'd say over the meal, saying, thank you, Lord, for this food. Holy Spirit, guide me. For others, it may feel kind of awkward. Well, shouldn't I ask God to guide me? Or maybe ask Jesus, you know? Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Shouldn't he be the one guiding me? I'm going to ask you to think about the Holy Spirit and guidance, not only because we're going to be talking about it, but because that was God's choice. Through Christ, when he told his disciples, I'm going to send you the Comforter, the Spirit, who will guide you. Second, I want to ask you to join me in a prayer for courage and no fear. And I'll explain why that in a moment, but imagine you can track ahead on that one. So much of my history of thinking about the Holy Spirit was cloaked in fear. What if? How will I deal with it if? So first, we want to pray for guidance. And second, we want to pray for courage. Third, which should be first, but I'm going to put it third. I want to thank God for the gift of His Spirit. Here we go. Let's pray together. Father, we join hearts and minds as we begin a three-day journey. Lord, it is not a journey for which we'll need 
extra food. It's not a journey for which we'll have to have another pair of shoes. But Father, I believe it is a journey that may stretch us, that may challenge us. God, I pray that it stretches me. So Father, as we talk, as we discuss, as we look at Scripture, we pray together. Guide us. Holy Spirit. We pray that out loud with me. Guide us. Holy Spirit. Father, we know that you and Christ are one. We know that the Spirit is yours, and so we know that in a way beyond our understanding, you are a divine unity, a Godhead. God, forgive us our language. It's paltry. We try and take little glimpses of the universe that is you. And so we pray, Father, give us courage. We pray that today. Give us courage. Banish fear from our hearts God, keep us from worrying. Keep us from not trusting you. Even as Rick said last night, if you can give us something, we know it's good. So forgive us when, we, when we're distrustful of you. And finally, Father, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for your love as a father, for Jesus, our brother and savior, and thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Father, hear us now as we pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, until then help us to be more like you. In Christ Jesus' name, we all pray and say, Amen. Amen. Every sermon starts with a sentence, and any homiletics teacher will tell the preacher, choose wisely. Every preacher's tenure in the church starts with the first sermon. And any old preacher talking to a new preacher would say, say the words with me, choose wisely. You only get to do your first sermon one time, right? You only get one first sentence in a sermon. So, when Jesus begins his ministry, and he goes to Nazareth to begin his preaching and teaching, will you join me in reading together one of the first sentences of one of the first sermons of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry? It's a slightly different color. You don't know when to start. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was handed to him. Pause for a second. There is some debate on occasion of whether Jesus angled that. By that I mean, did he show up on the particular Sunday when Isaiah was going to be read, as there is a kind of liturgy? Others would say, no, it depends on the rabbi there, which scroll they might hand to him, or which scrolls they even have. But I'm going to go with the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and knows everything. Can we all just go down with that? All right. So I don't think this is accident number one. Unrolling it, he found the place... We'll say those words again. He found the place. I had someone say, I would have thought he had it memorized. <laughs> he found the place where it is written. Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Never forget that Jesus chose the first sentence of his first sermon in this setting to be the Spirit 
of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now if Christ puts it front and center, I think there should be no fear in us to say that we are the Spirit-led people of God. I don't know if you've had anybody ever ask you that. Are yours, is yours a Spirit-led church? I had a lady ask me. Now, my wife and I, or my husband and I have moved in, into the area, and uh, we started the church, and wanted to know, is yours a spirit-led church? Phone conversation. Boy, there's a truth or dare moment. <laughs> I said, well, I, I don't know that you can be a church that honors and loves Jesus and brings the word and uses it as your driving force without being a spirit-led church. Because the word, of course, is the sword of the spirit. That was kind of a, we call that Jesus Jitsu. Kind of <laughs> Juke around the, the, the question a little bit. Because if they had known to press me and say, well, let me ask you this picture. How often do the people in your church say things like, no, the Holy Spirit has really been working on me about Or, you know, I just really felt that the Holy Spirit was moving me too. Or, you know, I was doing something and I feel like the Spirit laid this on my heart. That's not language I grew up with. Now, not again saying that I didn't grow up with people who love Jesus. But that language scared me, disturbed me. Because my mind immediately went to this question whoa, whoa, whoa. How do you know? How do you know that was the Spirit and just not some bad pasta from yesterday, right? <laughs> How do you know that was the Spirit and not just some synapses firing off in a given way because your brain is just a big bucket of electrolytes? At least so a teacher in high school told me. How do you know that wasn't the devil? Now, what's bizarre is that I have never once questioned the fact the devil can whisper in my ear. But I wonder about God's ability to effectively do so through the Holy Spirit. I think the appropriate word for that is stupid. Can I get an amen? And it, but that was part that was part of my approach. In fact, let, let me kind of let me kind of be clear here. Here is my early pneumatology, and for those who wonder, pneumatology comes from that word from which we get. Pneumonia, yes, that is right. Actually, you can't get pneumonia from the word, but I understand what you're saying. It, it, that's, it's that same Greek lead. Pneuma is the word for breath. And that's the word the Greeks use to describe that we end up, end up translating as spirit. That's why we would say things like that. He has expired. He has breathed his last. So my early pneumatology, that is my theology about the spirit, had about three points. Number one. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was highly engaged with the early church, but he finished his job in Elvis, that's enough, the building. He was miraculous, he was inspiring, he led and guided, and he gave them the words they needed to speak, and then he made sure they got the good news, they could write it down, and now that we have the Bible, the Holy Spirit has left the building. Second. It's all in the book. If you want the Holy Spirit, just dig into the Bible. 
I guess the idea was that in the book of Acts, when he said, you know, uh, that when you give your, your heart and life to Jesus, when you commit to him, those of you who are baptized, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everybody remember that text that's in there in Acts 2? That's a big text for us, Acts 2. And so right there it says the gift of the Holy Spirit. What I imagined was that as they came up out of the water, Peter said, congratulations, the Holy Spirit wants you to have this. And this was the gift of the Holy Spirit. I have heard a preacher say it. Because he says, is the Bible not the greatest gift we've ever received? Can I get an amen? amen? Is the Bible not the sword of the Spirit? Did the Spirit not inspire the Bible? Is it not fair to say that this is the greatest gift we've ever received? And to me, he says, this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, easy to denigrate, easy to laugh at mock. It's easier for some people than with the others. <laughs> But let me pause and reflect that I don't know if my theology was much different from what he was describing. Now, we can debate the reasons why, but I'm just going to take ownership for it because I was a pretty bright kid. And I had a Bible. And I could read. And I saw things in the Bible that I went, wow. And I either had to rotate back to, that doesn't happen anymore, and, and I, I shouldn't expect that because Elvis has left the building, or it's just, it's all in the book. It's, it's, it's all in the book. But of course, the book talks a whole lot about the activity of the Holy Spirit, leading, guiding, <coughs> calling, but we'll get there. And finally, don't play with matches. <laughs> this was that fear part about going off the deep end with the Holy Spirit. Because I've never heard anybody say, oh man, she's getting so into God. I just worry, you know? I don't know if one day she'll start doing weird stuff. Now, you might say that if you're an atheist and your daughter's getting involved, but you wouldn't say that if you're a Christian, right? Nor would you say, man, I tell you, my son, he's spending a lot of time talking about Jesus. I don't know. It just makes me a little uncomfortable. We've been to church all our life, and it's fine if he wants to talk about Jesus, but what might Jesus call him to? Same he might have heard her say. She's getting way into the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's like, he's like way into this Holy Spirit thing. He's saying the Spirit did this, and the Spirit did that, so the Spirit is doing this in my life. And so my early pneumatology was I don't, don't, don't play with matches. Because that, that might end up hurting. Now I confess all that, owning it, not blaming anybody else for it, <laughs> recognizing. That it was my Lord Jesus who told me this. If you love me, you obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you. Tell me how long. The Spirit of Truth. The Spirit is a gift from God. The Spirit is God. And when we have fears, we rotate back, I think Rick mentioned this too last night. We rotate back to these beautiful words of Jesus. If you're scared, if anything about this week at Pepperdine causes you to go, oh man, I don't know, man, and this whole Holy Spirit thing, I don't know, where, where's this thing going to end up? And by the way, if you have class today, I'm just going to go ahead and drop a shoe and tell you where this thing's going to end up, because I, I know. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if his 
son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Right? That's supposed to be funny. Jesus wants us to giggle. He wants us to recognize the ridiculousness of thinking that my grandson, that, that, hey, hey, grandson. <laughs> my grandson, who is staying with us this week, which is why you may not see as much of me as you might otherwise. Somebody has to watch it. I mean, it's a, it's a ministry. Uh, <laughs> my year and a half old grandson is at the age where the way he understands the world is oral. I don't mean oral as through your ears, oral through your mouth. If he wants to see what something is, he just puts it in his mouth. Now, Grandpa, oh, I'm not called Grandpa. Uh, it's, it's in vogue today to get to pick your name, as many of you know. So there are Hoopas and Hoopas and Big Tom and Coach and everything else. Um, I selected a name and my sons rejected it. I wanted to be studied. <laughs> it's as good as Poopal, right? My boy said, no way, Dad, are we going to teach our kids to call you Stutter? I said, why? He said, they'll never learn the definition of the word, Dad. <laughs> oh, yeah. So instead, when I uh, took Spanish in uh, school years and years ago, Jeff, my name, pronounce the J is like an H, and so it's pronounced the pronounced teacher. She said, okay, your, your Spanish name will be Jefe. Jefe. I later found out what the word means. <laughs> and felt it was a sign from the Lord that that should be my <laughs> The Spanish speakers in the class would give me because Jefe means boss. <laughs> so my grandpa means Jefe. And when Jefe is thin, Hefe is one of his jobs is to make sure that Finn doesn't get to put anything in his mouth that will hurt him. You don't know how angry I would become if somebody tried to slip in something that would harm him. And you don't know how hurt I would be if any of you said to Courtney, you're, you're leaving your boy with Jack. <laughs> Who knows what he's going to get to put in his mouth? <laughs> he's going to be a Dr. Pepper drinker by the time you get back home. <laughs> I would be offended if any of you thought I would give my son something that would harm him. I would probably get ticked and probably defensive. Is that how God feels? When we say, I don't know about this Holy Spirit thing. And Jesus says, can you trust your daddy? Rick said last night, the Holy Spirit is a great gift, and the Holy Spirit is a good gift. So, how did God choose to reveal the Spirit to us? How did he choose in his word to show us the nature of the Spirit? I'm going to suggest that it's through three basic metaphors. The metaphor of water, of fire, and the metaphor of wind, or water, wind, and fire, in the, in the order we're going to go with them. Those metaphors help us in a simple, elemental way of thinking about and understanding the nature of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to deal with water. So let's begin. Isaiah 44 and 3. Can you guys read the yellow words? For I on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit. 
on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That verse is called parallelism. That means he says two things, but he's saying the same thing in two different ways. He's comparing and contrasting and connecting, pouring out water, and he uses the same Hebrew word to pour out that you would use to pour out a liquid when he says to pour out the Spirit. In fact, that's consistent in the Old and New Testament. Now, isn't it interesting that the way God chose to reveal the Spirit to us is revealed in language that is pouring language? You very seldom have something, you know, the Holy Spirit hit him, or the Holy Spirit dropped on him, or the Holy Spirit was deposited in him. Yes, we do have language about a, an inheritance, a deposit inheritance guarantee, but the, but the most common language for how this Holy Spirit is sent from God is pouring language. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside, I love this, say it with me, springs of water. I want you to think about water in three very simple and elemental ways. And I meant to bring the water in here, and I didn't. So I don't think it's got a, a clear water. Can you chuck that out here, would you, sweetie? Awesome. Very good. There was a moment there. <laughs> This is so wonderfully common. You can get it almost anywhere. Yes, there are water crises in some places, but for us, water is ubiquitous. I mean, there's a drinking fountain. Just every time you turn around, water is everywhere. It is the substance that sustains us. Three principles about the Holy Spirit and about water. First off, water is necessary to your physical life. Everybody say, I get that. And the Holy Spirit is necessary to your spiritual life. Just as you cannot live without water, God created us in Christ Jesus through the work of His Holy Spirit that is in us. Three things about it. First off, water is the root of life, and we're not going to take time to go back to the Old Testament. It is God brooding over the face of the water, looking on the face of the water. There in Genesis 1, on the chaos. And what does he begin creation with after let there be light? All right, all right, yes. It starts with light, but then he says he separates the water. and made the waters above and the water below. So that water from the very beginning has been the root of life's existence. It is the one thing we can't do. Well, I need food too. You realize you can go without food longer than you can go without water. In fact, most people don't die of starvation. They will die of dehydration because of the composition of our body. Water comes from God, and by that I simply mean we can't make it. Yeah, I know. There's a scientist somewhere that says, you know, give me an H and a couple of O's, or no, it's two H's and an I forgot the recipe. <laughs> two H's and an O, right? It's, oh, here, I'll, I'll make you some water. And yet, truly, water is a native gift of God that He makes and He provides. It's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, it is the sustaining thing for us. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Oh, by the way, where was he? Well, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. He says, indeed, the water I give him will become spring of water, flowing up to eternal life. Water sustains us. And by the way, we will fight to get that which sustains us. We will fight to get that which we are driven to feel, I've got to have it. Okay, you ready? 
Go with me on this. When's the last time you felt the God I have? It probably wasn't food or water. Now, maybe there were moments. On Mother's Day of last year, my wife and I did a hike, the Laguna, Laguna Canyon hike, which is a little ways up PCH. She is a hiker, and she actually says, let's, let's do I said this great. Mother's Day hike, you and me. <laughs> Laguna Canyon is a seven-mile loop. Not too bad, but seven miles. You know, so we each have a daily water like this. We made it all the way around to a place where there were these kind of barricades saying, oh, some, you know, there's been some slides here, and this may not be safe. But I had seen people go through it. And being a stubborn, bullheaded idiot, I said to my wife, honey, I think we can pull that on through there. And she said, well, you know, they got the yellow tape and all. I said, yeah, but look, do you see those hikers right up there? I mean, you know, they're, they're no better than us. Well, what can we do this? Because this is the way we get back to the parking lot. So we kept going. We kept going 6.7 miles in the hike. We came to the wash. A sheer drop-off where water had coursed through during some of the rains and had triggered an avalanche. And the only way down was by rappelling down, which the hikers in front of us were in the process of doing <laughs> as we arrived. And as they got to the bottom, they looked up and said, you want us to hold the ropes for you? And my wife looked at me, and I said to her, that won't be necessary. We just wanted to see it. We're going back the other way. Six point nine miles. You do the math. About 10 miles in, my wife was sharing her thoughts. Something is out of stock to get it. 
Have you bargained? Have you gone to nine different websites to see which one could get it to you the quickest? Have you yearned for it? Everybody knows where I'm heading, don't you? God chose for us to think about His Spirit like the water we need to keep us alive. He wants us to seek it, to want it, to desire Him, to call on Him, to lean into Him. He wants us to admit that we are a Spirit-led church or we are not a church. We are a Spirit-led Christian or we are not a Christian. That the Spirit is the very sustaining thing that keeps us alive. Now the reason I had to put that point first was because of this point. And that is, Satan's desire is to try and give us something else that will satisfy what only the Holy Spirit is designed to do. And I left my Coke can in the car. Nobody has a soda or a tea or anything else with them that, that you fess up about. If it's a Bruce, you just keep it. We don't have it. But imagine for a moment that I've set my Coke can up here. I will confess, there is nothing like a cold Coca-Cola on a hot day. Can I get it? Oh, yeah. I know we got some Dr. Pepper drinkers and root beer drinkers and others out there. So whatever your drink of choice is, I want you to see it sitting right next to the water. And I want you to understand that everything in your body drives you towards it because it is constructed to lie to you. It is designed sweeter than sweet. I used to say, well, maybe it's just like fruit. She said, no, it's not. <laughs> they put extras of, they boil down the fruit and they get it right down to its sweetie sweetness. The stuff that she would say, God never intended for us to use that way. And they put it in there. That's just like drinking liquid sugar, which I'm like, and? <laughs> now, if you've been awake for the last 25 years, you've heard the articles, you've seen the programs, and you know that stuff is killing us. But I have one in my car. <laughs> because I'm foolish. And I believe the lies my body has consumed. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what it is that we have been using to slay our spirit thirst. But our lives and our churches should have been driven long ago, like my wife and I, to say, we have got to lean into the Holy Spirit more. We have got to drink deeply from the Spirit. And I don't know whether our Coca-Cola is our intellect or our tradition, whether our brand of Coca-Cola has to do with our gifts and skills. Oh, gifts. Where'd you get them from? Oh, gifts from the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow right from him. And by this, he meant, say it with me, the Spirit. The Spirit is elemental, it is pure, and I'm just going to get to the last one quickly here. It is internal. The Spirit is both eternal and internal. The Spirit is an inside thing. Now, let me tell you why I believe that's so important. May I drink some of your water? 
Oh, good. Okay, great. Otherwise, I need to know about your kid. <laughs> Ooh, he had a look. It's not carbonated, though, is it? Why, why does it? Folks, the Spirit 
even as it translates to God in words that we don't even understand the groanings, God speaks to our heart through His Spirit. And kind of like drinking tea, tea good for you, but I'm telling you what, there is nothing like quiet time with God when I simply say, oh Lord, give me courage. Guide me. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a... I know you have to use your brain, so he says, still it's intellectual. But I'm going to use the word, it is a spiritual drink. Once again, well, I know, but you know, what, what are you saying the Holy Spirit's going to do? Don't worry about the Holy Spirit is going to do. Worry about what happens if we don't do what we need to, which is open our hearts to the Holy Spirit, which is keep in step with the Holy Spirit, which is not grieve the Holy Spirit, which is seek and pray for the Holy Spirit. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me. How does God describe himself? Say it with me. The spring of living water. And instead, they've dug their own cistern, broken cistern, and can't hold water. That's where we get the old expression. Jet just doesn't hold water. The drink that satisfies, spiritually, is God's Holy Spirit. Instead of fearing or wondering, we need to just say, may I have another big glass, please. Thirdly. Jesus says, amazingly, here's where we've got to wrap up, is he is the spirit that overflows in us. The spirit that overflows. Now, here's the, Paul's famous contrast. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be what? Filled with the spirit. Now, notice again, the contrast that he makes is with a drink. It is with a liquid. Don't get drunk on this liquid, but let the Holy Spirit impact you. Let the Holy Spirit change your behavior. Let the Holy Spirit cause something to come bubbling up out of you. If you heard Christine Kane's morning talking about passion, I was like, yes, yes, that's right, say it, because that's going to save you some time to a clock. <laughs> because when she talked about that, I, I, I wanted to just say, yes, yes, yes. And the more we are filled with the Spirit, the more we won't be trying to gin up passion, the more we won't be trying to drum up some enthusiasm. You know what I mean. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's a building campaign. Woo! You know? And so the elders and the preacher try and drum up a bunch of enthusiasm about it. Been there, done that. And I know sometimes you kind of have to crank the crank to get everybody excited. It's like when it's yard day. Come on, boys. Let's go. We're going to mow the lawn today. We're going to rake the leaves and then we're going to trim those bushes. And my boys would be like, Dad, it's not exciting. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I would try and drum up enthusiasm. Sometimes preachers feel like that on a Sunday morning, right? It's like, what's that, that old sermon you know? The dry bones. Preach to the bone. Man, been there, done that. But it's the Spirit of God that is going to keep anybody from having to drum up the enthusiasm if I will simply open my heart and say, fill me with your spirit. Will you say it with me? Fill me with your spirit. And by the way, the phrase is a volitional phrase. By that I mean, it's a choice. Now, I'm used to hearing about slain with the Spirit, struck with the Spirit on some of the, you know, higher cable channel numbers. And you, you see the folks there who will zap somebody. And, Whoa, well, he was slain. He was knocked down with the Spirit. God's language is you choose to be a vessel that the Holy Spirit can fill. 
By the way, you can't fill a full glass. And some of us, let's just start with me, I need to empty some things out in my heart to leave space for the Holy Spirit. I need to empty out my own personal security. You know what most of my personal security is? That I've got this figured out. Right? I grew up in the church. I know the truth. I'm going to get an A from the spiritual SAT test, and that's why I'm getting to heaven. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being nothing but honest, and, and, and we've got two minutes for me to wrap this, so here we go. I need you to hear clearly that the Holy Spirit is not something that we control, but I need you to hear clearly that you are responsible, as I am for me, for choosing to be vessels that can be filled by the Holy Spirit. Paul uses very simple language here. He says, if you do A, don't get drunk. You'll lose the ability to do B, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why he says instead. It's not a both and. Get drunk and fill with the Holy Spirit. Nope. <laughs> it's column A or column B, buddy. You can't have both of them. I don't think this is all about drunkenness, but I think it is Paul helping us to see that I can make choices which will disallow my choice to say, Father, fill me with your Spirit. And if you want to know what those choices are, just look at the works of the flesh. Because they're the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. And so the bitterness and the rage and the anger and the jealousy and the pride, we can just keep on listening, right? When those things have filled me up, there ain't much room to top it off with any Holy Spirit. And most of us don't need to be topped off. We need a full tank. Amen? Amen. To live in this world and to stand for Jesus, I want to be a Spirit-filled Christian. Having said that, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Oh, I want to be thirsty for the Spirit. It is the water that sustains. It is the only thing that will really satisfy. And when it fills me, it bubbles up. St. chapter 3 reaches. A well. A lot of important things happen in Scripture at the well. It's when Moses sits down at the well and he meets that gal and ends up being his wife. It is Jesus sitting at the well with a woman when that beautiful sermon is preached in their conversation. A well is still dependable water. And yet, we also like to go to the stream, though. The stream, that moving water, the water that purifies itself, right? But you know what the big time winter, winter chicken dinner is in the, in the Bible? It's the spring. Because you see, wells can, can run dry. Rivers can come and go. But a spring is a constant source of fresh water. Tell me which kind you have been tending to seek out. The well is safe. Oh, you fall in it. I get it. Nobody ever says, you know, he was killed by a Russian well. I mean, well is a stadium. Maybe a little more scared, right? The water is moving. Then the spring. I have been to the source of the Nile. Took a boat ride to Gigi, Uganda, where a great Christian work by the way is going on there. The water is just shooting through these rocks. And, and this actually, this scene is not a picture, maybe I'll bring it more. It's actually the source, but it's close enough to it where this water is. I mean, it's just like, wow, it's like Niagara Falls coming out of the rocks. 
vision God saying, Jeff, I want to put it in you. And indeed, I think he has. But I'm just so scared. I'm holding tight to that hose. Sometimes I want to kink it a little bit, so I just, I, I don't want it to come out too fast. Little dribbles for plenty. If God is going to change the world through his church, we've got to let go of those. And we've got to say, Father, we trust you. Lord, we lean into you, into the Spirit. Father, we pray, Spirit, guide us, direct us, encourage us, fill us. And before you walk out the door, for those who are saying, oh, I'm saying, what's going to happen? He's going to start talking, and I won't know what he's saying. That will be the last time I will come to the BBL. Or Harvard, or whatever they're going to call it next. <laughs> Jeff, are you saying that we all need to, now you fill in the blanks, uh, uh, do miracles, become any hand, speak in tongues, uh, you know, whatever you want it is. Let me just tell you where this is going, because I don't want anybody to shop. I believe our church desperately needs what the Spirit brings. Yes. We desperately need the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and suffering. This is where it's heading, folks. Because quite frankly, there are other demonstrations of the Spirit that I will not take issue with. But when Paul said, if I get a choice, I'll take love and peace and patience over any miracle you want to run by me any day. Because they are the greatest gifts and the greatest miracles, and they last. And they're so much, my opinion, harder. Oh, if God would really give me a miracle. Friends say, if he can make us love our neighbors, as we love ourselves, the entire world will drop their jaw and say, what happened? If he can, if the Holy Spirit, if we will release control to the Holy Spirit so that I can be peaceful and patient and gentle, that I cannot be judgmental, that I can be forgiving and gracious, that I can be joyful in conflict and joyful in pain, that I can love like it's going out of style. That is the billboard that the church needs. That is the miracle that our world is waiting on. That is the sign of the Holy Spirit that I want to seek and desire and give myself over to like water. And all I can do is invite you to join me in that process. Let's pray.